0: hey welcome to the steamboat christian center podcast where our greatest goal is to love god and love people if you would like more information about our church please visit us on social media or at steamboat.church we're so glad you joined us today let's jump into this week's message We are now in part three of our series that we started a few weeks ago on Easter called Miracles. Uh, Psalm 77 verse 13 says this. Let's jump into it. It says, what God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. Miracles. You display your power among the peoples. And that's that's my heart. My heart is, is that God over these next few weeks and months will show his great power to our world. Show his goodness to our world that is in an undeniable way. And so that's our prayer. And, uh, and I just want to remind you that through this verse and through what we're going through, that we serve a God who still does miracles. He's still in the business of doing miracles. And I hope that you believe that. In fact, you might be watching at home right now and you are in need of a miracle. You could use a miracle in your life. I want to challenge you. Stick with us over these next few weeks as we kind of look at how we can position ourselves to see God do the miraculous in our own lives. And so hang with us. I want to jump into this message today with that in mind. Open your Bibles up to John chapter 2. We're going to be looking at Jesus' very first miracle. It's one of his most famous miracles, and it's also one of his most misunderstood miracles as well. John chapter 2. The title of today's message is very simply this. How to turn H2O into C6H12O6 minus 2CO2 plus 2C2H50H. Or, if you're not a chemist, how to turn water into wine. Hopefully you got that. Um, most of us are familiar with this story. Most of us have read it and we're familiar with it. And so what I want to do is I want to quickly read it. But I want to get to the point where you and I can talk about and try to figure out what is God trying to show us through this crazy, often misunderstood miracle. I want to read it together. John chapter 2, 2. Starting in verse 1, it says this, "...that on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine." Jesus said to her, and this is fascinating. He said, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. It's an interesting exchange. His mother then turned to the servants that were standing there. And she said, whatever he says to you, do that. Wow, that's powerful. Now sitting there were six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews. They would use these to wash their hands. And and each one of these uh, pots could contain up to 20 to 30 gallons of water apiece. Jesus said to the servants, I want you to fill those water pots with water. They were empty before. And so they filled them up to the brim. Then he said to them, draw some of that out now and take it over to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that had been turned into wine. And he did not know where it came from. But the servants who had served it knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom over to him. And this is what he said to him. He said, everyone else brings out the good wine first. And then after the guests have had too much to drink. They bring out the cheap stuff later. But you, you have saved the best for last. Mm, I love that. This, John says, was the first of Jesus' miraculous signs that he performed in Cana of Italy. And he thus revealed his glory, and his disciples began to put their trust in him. Now, I love this story, and I know you do too, and most of us are pretty familiar with it. But uh, let me just jump into this. Clearly, this wedding had a problem. There was a snafu. Something had went wrong. And uh, in fact, if you talk to most wedding planners, they will tell you that there is no such thing as a perfect wedding, right? I've been to hundreds of weddings in my life as a pastor and as a a guest, and, and none of them were exempt from Murphy's Law if something could go wrong, it probably would and is, does often at weddings. And sometimes it's a big deal, sometimes it's a little. I mean, maybe you have a bridesmaid who's walking down the aisle and he, she kind of trips in her high heels or or maybe it's something big. You got this groomsman that's sitting up there in front and his zipper is down in front of everybody or uh, maybe you got the, the little ring bearer who, who starts picking his nose right there while the video is running and <laughs> or, or maybe you have a flower girl, she just goes rogue and starts wandering around the room. Those be something always goes wrong at a meet, uh, at a wedding. In fact, uh, sometimes it's even the, the minister's fault. Sometimes we mess up, and you would think that we'd be pretty good at it because we've done so many. But I know that I have blown it a few times. In fact, uh, probably the biggest uh, mistake I've ever made was a few years ago. I was uh, marrying a young couple, and uh, at the rehearsal, I noticed that the uh, bride was. Uh, a little nervous she was just kind of I think overwhelmed with all the details and all the family coming in and out and, and just so a little nervous and so I, I found a verse that I, I thought would be good to share with her it's First John chapter 4 verse 18 which says and you know this says perfect love casts out all fear and I thought, oh, this would be good. And so I asked the best man if he would read it the next day at the wedding. What I didn't know is, is that the best man didn't know the difference between 1 John and just regular John. So when the time came for uh, the, 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 that, the ceremony for me to do that, I just kind of stopped. And I said, hey, I've got a great verse that I want, I, I think, would be good for the bride to hear. And so I've asked the best man to read it. And so he opened up the Bible, and he turned to the bride, and he says, John 4.18, Jesus said you have actually had five husbands and the one you're now living with is not your husband that didn't go over well <laughs> Man, that was a bad one but uh, fortunately they were friends and we were able to get over it anyway the question that i think we need to answer with this uh, with this miracle is, is what was jesus trying to show us by turning the water into wine it's such a weird strange miracle it's not an emergency someone isn't sick someone isn't dying why did he turn the water into wine? It's a, it's a difficult passage of scripture to try to interpret. In fact, um, as I've listened to messages throughout my life on this subject, they just, they just breach all kinds of different things. Everybody comes at it at a different angle. I've heard messages on this. I've heard sermons on the dangers of drinking Alcohol with this story it blows my mind and I realize that drinking can be dangerous and 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 there's a lot of good reasons to abstain from alcohol but man this is definitely not what that this story is about that's not what this story is about in fact the facts are clear Jesus showed up at a party everybody had been drinking and when the wine ran out Jesus uncorked another 150 gallons of the stuff and said come on let's party So this is not about the dangers of drinking. It's not exactly a warning against drinking on that. Um, Some sermons that I've I've heard on this have focused more on the dynamics between Jesus and his mother. And it is an interesting relationship that they have and the conversations that they have. In fact, in this one, it's kind of weird. Jesus kind of comes across rude as if he's being rude to his mom. He's like, woman, don't bother me with this right now. It's not my time. And I love how Mary responds to it. It's just classic female. She completely ignores what he said. She just pushes on through and she turns to the servants and says, hey, guys, get ready. Something good is about to happen right here, right? I love that. But uh, I've even heard sermons on, on how it's on marriage and how they focused on the marriage part of this, as if um, Jesus did his first miracle at a wedding as if to put God's stamp of approval on marriage. And I, and I like that. But it is clear to me, uh, even though those are all possibilities, I'm pretty sure they're not the reason that John included this story in his gospel. Um, We need to remember that the gospel of John is a little different than the other gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first three gospels are known as the synoptic gospels. Because they are similar in their narrative. They're similar in the stories that they tell. And John is different. It's it's unto itself. In fact, John was the last of the four Gospels written. Many people don't know this. It was probably written 50 to 60 years after Jesus left the scene. And John didn't write his Gospel to get all the facts out there. That had already been done. He, he, He assumed that his readers already knew the story and knew what had happened. And so John wasn't trying to answer the question, you know, what did Jesus do? John I think was trying to answer the question why why did Jesus do what he did none of the other gospel writers this is interesting none of them include the cana miracle in their narratives this is the only place that we find this story it's as if they were more impressed with the uh, the healings and the exorcisms and some of the other miracles in fact John didn't call the turning the water into wine incident a miracle He called it a sign. To John, this was a sign to help you and I understand why Jesus came in the first place. And maybe you're wondering, why did Jesus come? Well, Jesus tells us in John chapter 10, verse 10, he said this. He said, the thief, the enemy, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy and so this epidemic, this pandemic, this crisis that we see in our world right now, the fingerprints of the enemy is all over it. Killing, stealing, destroying, that is him. But Jesus said, I have come so that you might have life and life to its fullest. I love that. In my opinion, that's what the miracle at Cana is all about. Right? I want you to follow me for a second. At Jesus's very first miracle that he did, he took something that is simple, something that's ordinary, something that's plain, like water, and he turned it into something wonderful, something beautiful, something valuable. Um, the Bible, as you know, is filled with lots of symbolism, and, 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 and wine is often a symbol of joy, it's often a symbol of celebration and of joy. And I think that by turning water into wine, Jesus was subtly saying to you and I, I have come to bring you joy. And not just a little bit. I have come to bring you a true and lasting joy that will never run out. It's a pretty cool thought, right? Right? I mean, when you think about that, if that's why he came, to bring us joy, even in the midst of all our difficult circumstances, that's kind of cool to think about. Because you and I, one thing we know is that, you know what, life can be just one big disappointment after another. It can just be in the cycle of, what's the next big thing that's going to fall apart in my life, or get broken, or not go right? I think a lot of us feel that way. In fact, that's why weddings often resemble life, Right? As much as we want our wedding to be perfect, something always goes wrong. And in the same way, regardless of all the preparation and planning and hard work that we do to make our lives perfect, stuff still happens. Things fall apart. And eventually, joy runs out. In fact, I'm sure that this pandemic has probably sucked a little bit of joy out of your life. I've talked to a few people and and they would say, you know what, it would take a miracle right now for me to feel joyful again because of all the things that they've lost and experienced in this. And I just want you to know if that's how you feel, I wanna encourage you to remember that that's exactly why Jesus came. That's exactly why he came. Jesus came to fill our empty jars of clay With new wine. He came to restore our joy. And not just with a little bit. He came to fill it with a lot. In fact, in John chapter 15 verse 11, look at this. Jesus said this. He said, I have told you these things. Everything that Jesus ever preached. Everything that he said to his disciples. He said, I have told you these things so that my joy could be in you and so that your joy may be overflowing, that you would just be gushing with joy regardless of what's going on in the world, regardless of what's going on in your life, you could still be filled with joy. I love that. I believe that this story is about getting our joy back. This miracle is about the ability that regardless of what we're going through, we can find joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. With that said, I want to end this with just a few things that I find in this story that I think would be helpful for you and I to find joy. What do you do when your joy is gone? What do you do when your joy tank is empty? Well, I think there's three things in here I want to share with you. Number one, write this down and we'll conclude with these thoughts. Number one, realize that things may get worse before God makes them better. Some of you are like, man, that's not very encouraging. I understand, but read the whole thing. Things may get worse before God makes them better. You can find this truth all throughout the Bible. A lot of God's people had to walk this out in their own lives. Let me give you some examples. You might remember Joseph. Joseph, not Jesus' father, but Joseph in the Old Testament. He was a young man, and he had this dream that one day he would be great. One day he would be put in charge, right? And that was a great dream, and he's excited about it. But boy, things got worse right after that, man. Things got worse before they got better. The next day, Joseph got beat up and put into a pit. And then his brother sold him into slavery. Then he got accused of rape. And then he spent many years in his life in prison, And then one day, out of nowhere, he was summoned to the palace. He went before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh made him number two in charge of the whole thing. Suddenly, things got better. I think about David. Uh, David was prophesied when he was a young boy that he would one day be king. But for the next few years of his life, things just got worse. Uh, uh, Saul wanted to kill him and David had to run for his life and he hid in the desert and slept in caves for years of his life and then one day suddenly God brought David and put him on the throne in Jerusalem and of course Jesus Jesus was beaten and nailed to a cross before he ever experienced the glory of the resurrection the point I'm trying to make is, is that things often get worse before they get better now, I know that you may be going, man, I don't, I don't like that too much. And I understand. But I want you to check this out. Look at this, this compliment that the master of the banquet gives the bridegroom. This is brilliant. Watch this. In verse 10, he turns to them and he says this. He says, everyone else brings out the good wine first and then they bring out the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you, you have saved the best For last, that is profound. I think that he was unknowingly making a comparison between the ways of this world and the ways of God. You see, you and I know this, that in this world, things start out good, but they eventually kind of end bad. They fall apart eventually. But with God, the best is saved for last. The best is always saved for the last part. I've read this Bible over and over and in the middle part of this Bible are just tons of stories of people going through difficulties and trials and tribulations and persecutions, right? But I've also read the end and the best is at the end where we get to spend eternity in paradise. The best is always saved for last with God. I love that. If you... You, you know that that's true. And some of you right now that are going through a difficult time, I just want to remind you, it is possible. Yes, it is possible that things might get worse in this world before they get better. It is possible. But if you stick with God, he will make things better. He specializes in turning bad situations completely around. Yes, things may get better. Things may get worse. <laughs> but God always saves the best for last. And as such, you and I can have joy regardless of what we're going through because we know how this thing's gonna end up. Amen? Okay, the second lesson I want for you to pull out of this is that, number two, bring your problems to the problem solver. I think that's obvious here. Uh, In verse three, it says that when the wine was gone, Jesus's mother came to him and said, they're out of wine, Now, as I thought about this wedding, I realized that this family, when it came to planning uh, for the food and the wine part of this, they kind of blew it. But boy, I'll tell you what, man. The wisest thing that this family did in preparing for this wedding was that they invited Jesus to come to the party. Why do I say that? Here's why. Write this down. Jesus' presence at the wedding opened the door to a possibility of a miracle. Jesus' presence in our lives creates the opportunity for a miracle to show up in our lives. And Mary understood this. And I think that that's why she quickly took the problem to Jesus. The point I'm trying to make here is that we should go to him first for the solution to our problems. Unfortunately, most of us kind of go everywhere else before we finally turn to God. We try everything else and then we're like, okay, God, can you help me? But it doesn't make sense. Many many of us are trying to solve our anxiety problems by trying to uh, escape reality with drugs and, and alcohol. And at the end, we feel more anxious and more worried than we did before. Many of us are trying to solve our financial problems by applying for more credit cards and going deeper into debt. And we find ourselves more hassled and stressed out than before. Many of us are trying to solve our problems by looking inside ourselves for the solution hoping that maybe we can just pull another rabbit out of the hat at the end. And it's all unnecessary. It's all unnecessary. Jesus said this in Mark chapter six, verse 33, and I've said this verse over and over this year, and I think there's some power to it. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Put God first in your life, and then what? And all these other things will be added unto you. I believe wholeheartedly that Jesus' miracle at Cana is an invitation for us to bring our problems to him first. He's saying, bring those issues, whatever they are, big or little, bring them to me. Why? So that I can prove my power and my goodness to you. I believe that. Look at what John, how he summed this whole thing up in verse 11. It says this, he says this, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. And he thus revealed his glory. He revealed his power. He revealed his goodness. And his disciples decided to put their trust in him. In the same way, God wants to reveal his glory to you and to me. He wants to reveal his goodness to you and I. But we've got to be willing Bring our problems to him first. I hope that gets to you. Last, Last lesson, number three, and this is the most important, and that is this. Number three, obedience always precedes the miraculous. I think this story shows that clearly. In verse five, Mary makes one of the greatest statements in all of the Bible. The Bible is filled with unbelievable uh, scriptures and unbelievable bits of wisdom. But I think what, what Mary says right here in John chapter 2, verse 5, this little statement may be the best. She says this, whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. That's some good advice for us. There's an important principle in that. And that is, is that obedience precedes the miraculous. We see this repeated over and over again in the Bible. That before God does his part, he often asks us to do our part. Before God steps out and does something big, he asks you and I to step out and do something little. I mean, think about this. In Genesis chapter 6, this is, you might remember the story. God is talking to Noah. And in verse 14, he says to Noah, he says, I want you to make yourself an ark. Noah at the time didn't know what an ark was. It's a big boat. And Noah had no clue what that was. And God had to give him some very instruction, uh, specific instructions on how to build an ark. In fact, Noah didn't even know what rain was. It had never rained on the earth at this time. And so uh, even though Noah didn't know what he was doing or why he was doing it, Noah did what God told him to do. And he saved his family from the coming flood. Exodus chapter 14. You might remember Moses was trapped between um, Pharaoh's chariots and the Red Sea. Remember Pharaoh and his army was chasing them, And they were, they were sandwiched in between the Red Sea and Pharaoh. And God turned to Moses in verse 15. And he says, Moses, I want you to raise up your staff. And I want you to stretch your hand out over the sea now without knowing what would happen moses obeyed god and the red sea miraculously parted and the nation of israel walked through on dry ground in second kings chapter 5 there's a much lesser known story but it's equally brilliant you might have heard of this fellow by the name of naaman He was a a commander of the Syrian army, but he had struggled for a long time with leprosy. It was beginning to take over his body. And at one point, a prophet of God came to him and told him what he should do. He said, I want you to go down to the Jordan River. In verse 10, he says, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Now, this made absolute no sense to Naaman. He's like, in my home country, there are far better rivers, far cleaner and nicer rivers than the stupid, muddy Jordan River. And he said, I'm not going to do it. But fortunately, one of his uh, little assistants came and said, man, you ought to listen to what the man of God said. You ought to at least try. And so Naaman went down to the Jordan River, dipped himself in it seven times, and he was healed miraculously of this devastating disease. Another example, Matthew chapter 14. We all know this story. Peter is in a boat in the middle of a storm, and the wind and the waves are crazy, and he looks off into the distance onto the, onto the lake, and he sees a ghost, what he thinks is a ghost, and it turns out that it's Jesus, but he's not 100% sure. And he's like, if that's really you, Jesus, tell me what to do. And in one verse, Jesus said this. In verse 29, he told Peter to come. Come. And the Bible says that Peter stepped out of the boat and began to walk on the water. The point I'm trying to make here is that when we do what God tells us to do, it opens the door to the miraculous. And it's so simple, but so hard for some of us. So many people miss this principle in their lives and 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 i've wondered why and i think the answer is simple and that is is that most people resist making jesus lord of their life they're fine with jesus being their savior but they haven't quite made him lord they're okay with jesus riding shotgun with them in the car but they'll never hand over the reins of their life to him and let him be in control Mary put all of her control into Jesus' hands. She turned over the control and she says, whatever he says to do, do it, because it'll work out. And the servants obeyed and wine filled those empty jars. My question for you is what is God asking you to do? What is God asking you to do? Some of you right now are in need of a financial miracle. You need God to come through the there of your finances. My question for you is, have you obeyed what God has told you to do? Have you been a steward? Are you stewarding your finances? Are you making a budget right now? Are you putting God first in your finances? Are you tithing? Well, not really. Some of you right now are looking for God to do a relational miracle in your life. you've been asking God, God, bring me a person that I can walk through this life with together, someone that would be a blessing and be a partner in my life. And And the question I have for you is have you obeyed what he's told you to do? Have you done? And you're like, well, what has he told me to do? Well, have you kept the marriage bed pure? Are you putting God first in your relationships? Mm, kinda. Listen, my friend, kinda doesn't cut it. Kinda doesn't work. Look at this last verse that I wanna show you in verse seven. It says this, that Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. The word fill could be interpreted a lot of different ways. But these guys took it to the extreme. And I believe that one of the keys to this miracle was that they filled the jars to the top. When Jesus tells you to do something, Don't go halfway with it, friend. Don't just do it partway. Go all the way. Go all the way. And here's why. Write this down. The level of blessings that we receive from God is often in direct proportion to the amount of obedience that we give. Let me say that again. The level of blessings that you and I will ever receive from God is often related directly to the amount of obedience that we're giving him. Jesus said, with what measure you use, it will be measured back unto you. So many of us want miracles to happen in our lives, but so few of us are willing to let our obedience reach all the way to the top of our lives. We only go part way. We only go halfway, and then we give up. Listen to me, friend. (laughs) If you need some joy in your life, If you need a miracle in your life, you need to realize that, number one, things might get worse before they get better. But with God, they always get better. We are promised that he's gonna get us through. Number two, you need to bring your problem to the problem solver first. Don't wait until you've tried everything else. Don't wait until you've done all you can do and then say, God, help me. No, 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 that will just lead to frustration and disappointment. Bring it to God first, right out of the bat. And then number three, remember that obedience precedes the miracle, that when you and I do what God tells us to do, when it doesn't make sense to us, when it seems insignificant, when we are obedient, that opens the door to the miraculous in our lives. Before God does his part, he always asks you and I to do ours. And when we do this, We'll see a miracle and our joy will return. Boy, you know that party started up again when that wine started flowing again. That's what your life will be like when God comes down in the midst of it and does something special for you. I pray that you'll hear me on this and that you'll step out in faith. In fact, I wanna close with prayer. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me? Father, I just come to you and I remind myself that you are a God who performs miracles. You desperately want to show yourself and show your power and your goodness to us. And so, God, I pray that you would help us right now to position ourselves, to be in the place, the right place, doing the right thing, so that we can see you come in the midst of our difficult circumstances and do something wonderful, something amazing, something, something that we could not even imagine. And so, God, I, I just come to you now, and I pray that you would turn our morning into dancing. That, God, you would come into our situation and you would take our tears of sorrow and you would turn them into songs of praise. God, I pray that you would help us to trade our ashes for your beauty. You want to be our Savior. You are our Savior. But you also want to be our Lord. And so, Father, today, we give our life to you. We come to you with our situation. We come to you with our circumstances. And we say, God, would you turn my water into wine? Would you turn my sorrow into joy once again? We thank you that you're a God that does miracles and we now expectantly look to see what you're gonna do next. We love you and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.